This week on the Frame Savers, we hopefully go less than three rounds against Tyson. Welcome to the panel. It's really exciting to have you all out here at AGDQ 2019. We are live. So if you're listening to this on the internet, it's probably months from now. And this happens in January in a hotel room in Maryland. So thanks for showing out. We got about, I don't know, 10, 15,000 people here. And uh, so if you are new to the Frame Savers, we are a retro video game podcast that focuses on speedrunning. Speedrunning is a hobby where you try to beat video games as quickly as possible using whatever tricks, glitches, and stratagems we have available to us. And this week we are talking about Mike Tyson's Punch-Out for the Nintendo Entertainment System. And we are joined by the legend, Sinister One. Very handsome man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm excited to talk some Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Are you guys excited? Yeah. Let's go. Yeah, we knew nobody would show up if Sinister wasn't here, so we appreciate you showing up. <laughs> it was very fortunate because he uh, upgraded the average rating of this panel to like a 7 yeah. out of 10. If girls see this, they'll be like, well, maybe those guys aren't as bad looking as I think. It's Sitting the cheerleader effect. Guy. Yeah, absolutely. So, Sinister, what kind of games have you run in your speedrun history outside of Mike Tyson's Punch-Out? Uh, I've run mostly retro games, so I've run a lot of NES and a couple SNES games. I've run some beat-em-ups like Double Dragon 2 The Revenge, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Tur- Turtles 4, Turtles in Time. Uh, Rescue Rangers, Batman, Ninja Gaiden. It's a lot of video like games. Yeah, I think stop you there. like video games a lot. Is there lot? anything you can yes. do? Well, uh, we'll we'll find out sometime like, at some point in the panel. Yes, we'll figure out what that is. Well, any console after two thousand, I guess, is the answer. To that uh, exposed. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> so definitely go follow Sinister One on Twitter if, or Twitch if you have not already. Don't follow him on Twitter. He said it's worthless. So, um, so we were talking about Punch Out this week. Yeah. And what was your experience with Punch Out that got you into the game? My experience was I played it when I was young. A friend of mine had the game, and it was just—it was that kind of game. I feel like where most people, somebody kind of introduced you to it, and you're just like, "Whoa, this game is awesome!" Uh, so that was that was pretty much how it went for me. And then uh, I got reintroduced to it in 2010 at Classic Games Done Quick. Uh, there, there was actually a run of the game, so that kind of got got some things going. Andrew like, G. Andrew G. The Andrew G. The game. legend. The original. Yeah, the legend that got the first ever uh, sub vibe in Super Mario Brothers. He ran it at, at CGDQ, and I, I saw that, and I kind of thought, you know what, I want to play that game again. That's awesome. Yeah, I grew up with this game and loved it quite a bit. This is probably the game I put the most time into outside of Zelda One um, on like any retro console, and I just played it all the time as a kid. My sister loved it, uh, my dad loved it, so I think the characters just spoke to me. And it's very goofy. Uh, it's very weird um and it's a very unique sports game it's definitely focused more on fun than it is realistic boxing obviously um and a funny anecdote is that when i first got into speedrunning in 2013 i was like well i'm really good at mike tyson's punch out like i'm i'm pretty good so i played through it with the timer i didn't get knocked down until like mr dream or something and then i looked at my time it was like 25 minutes slower than slower than like a decent time and i was like wow i don't understand speedrunning at all so <laughs> but uh it's a lot of fun i like it quite a bit you didn't grow up with the game though no i never grew up with this game i was always aware of it but um even to this day it's always seemed like it's it's even impressive in a casual sense because it it's not necessarily that it feels inaccessible, but when you watch people be good at this game, there feels like there's an innate sense of internal knowledge that you just have to understand. Um, and we'll talk about it a lot, but this game does a lot to make sure that that's not a hindrance to you playing it casually. Um, but it always sort of 
um, it, it always intimidated me growing up. I, had, I was aware of it. I had friends who had had the game, but I just I was like, no, I don't want to do something I'm bad at. So. I mean, you have to fight Mike Tyson. That's scary. No, that's the easy part. It's, oh. It's the controller. Oh, just gotcha, give me gloves. Gotcha. Okay, gotcha. Oh. So, so this has appeared at every AGDQ from 2011 to 2016, which is kind of interesting. Um, never SGDQ. It's just not a summer game. Um, and uh, also AGDQ 2018, uh, like uh, Sinister said, CGDQ back in, I don't know, like the 80s, uh, 70s? Yes. Okay. It was actually the year after it came. 1988. We got okay. right into speed nice. running it. That's awesome. It's awesome. Uh, it was also at GDQX, and uh, a lot of these runs have been blindfolded, which is really cool. Um, I don't know. Do we want to talk about that now or later on in the? Yeah, the only other uh, run aside from the ones we just listed was uh, Harvey Relief, which uh, notably had uh, Summoning Salt actually playing it. So that was kind of cool. But um, it it is kind of interesting, this game, because not only has it never showed up at an SGDQ, like if you look at every showing it's had, it's never showed up at an SGDQ, at least by itself. Um, But in addition to that, it's interesting because a lot of these games, you kind of expect them to do the normal speed run and then occasionally have a showcase sort of run, but it does seem like relatively early on, this game became the blindfolded showcase. Absolutely. Um, you know, there were only maybe one or two showings initially before it just transitioned to being the blindfolded game. So Yeah, and even included cool. in a run of Zallard's where he played Super Punch-Out and Punch-Out with one controller with the inputs going to both consoles, which was... One of the cooler things I've seen at a GDQ, I still don't understand that, but uh, it has been really cool to see kind of this be the first, probably not the first game that anybody speed ran blindfolded, but just the first one that that really came out as like a legitimate category and a legitimate exhibition that, I mean, how many, there's like four or five people have done it, right, on the leaderboard? The blindfold? Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe three or four, three or four. I would say. Also, yeah. I'd like to just add a, a slight addendum. Uh, SGDQ 2016, Punch Out was accepted as a bonus game, but okay. it did not, or uh, a backup game, sorry. Uh, okay. Backup game, but it never made it in. Despite that we were running very ahead of schedule, I think every other uh, backup game made it in, but Punch Out was like the last one on the list. Didn't, didn't quite make it. Always the bridesmaid. Almost the bride. there. That's a real punch to the gut. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Diving into the game, this was released in 1987 in North America, Japan, and Europe um, in consecutive months. Uh, and the genre is like kind of hard to define, right? Like I would say it's a rhythm game, basically, but it's a boxing game, it's a fighting boxing game, sports game, RPG game, kind of an RPG sandbox yeah. MMO. I mean, I don't know, but it's uh, it's definitely a, a simulation. Unique, yeah, it's it's definitely a simulation. It's very realistic. Uh, I would say it's a, a very unique genre. Um, I mean, there's a lot of sports games that are out there that are just more focused on the fun than and the gameplay than there are the realistic sports simulation. Um, but this kind of goes to a different level with that because it integrates kind of this whole rhythm based gameplay that's not really. You don't think of sports games and rhythm inputs, but that's basically what this game is. I mean, that's patterns. basically what boxing is, though. I mean, it's a very rhythmic sort of sport, and so it's nice because it actually lends itself to a less sports-centric but more rhythm-centric and, and response and 
uh, that sort of thing for gameplay. It, it actually yeah. makes for, a, I think, more compelling gameplay than a lot of sports games end up being. For sure. And you love sports games, too. I'm a big so fan. I'm noted. I'm on the record as being very pro-sporting. Yeah, you love the sport. Which one? Which one's your favorite? Sport? Oh, I'm a big fan of the... Um, so this game was developed by Nintendo R&D <laughs> 3, um, which... Interestingly, R&D 3 actually started off uh, with arcade games. They started off with um, Punch-Out and Super Punch-Out, the two arcade games that had originally come out, and this was their first NES game they had made. It was uh, led by director uh, Genyo Takeda, and this is uh, the first port of the Punch-Out series to the NES. So the focus of this panel and this podcast episode is really on the NES games. We could really do a full episode on each and every game in the series because there's a a lot to really unpack, but we're going to focus mostly on the NES game. Uh, Obviously, it was published by Nintendo, having been developed by Nintendo R&D 3. Um, And one of the interesting details about this game is that aside from the fact that most of the R&D 3 games uh, had Genyo Takeda as the producer of the game, uh, Genyo Takeda did work as the director for this game, but it was actually produced by the president of Nintendo at the time. He took sort of personal interest in making sure this game ended up uh, the quality that they wanted it to be, and so Minoru Arakawa uh, worked as the producer for this game. Um, And there's sort of an interesting backstory to this game. Um, The original release, or if you want to even call it a release, the original production of this game was actually 10,000 copies of it, uh, gold-plated copies, not gold-plated, gold-colored copies. 24-karat gold. They're very valuable. I have one. It was extremely expensive, but it's it's nice. Do you actually own a copy of the gold card? I do have a copy. That's really cool. Yeah, it's uh, it's not inexpensive, making the jokes about it being gold-plated aside. Um, There were 10,000 copies of them, and they were originally produced to be an award uh, for winners of um, the golf U.S. course Famicom tournament in September of 1987, which is how I got my copies. Did stop it? No. Okay. Okay. Right. That, that's that part's not true. You really could have taken us for a ride. There. <laughs> you are ageless. I don't know. You could have taken us for a ride there. And yeah. You really missed out. On, you really missed out. Old sinister, just killing it. So uh, the the interesting backstory for this is uh, Minoru Arakawa, who is the president of Nintendo and the producer for this game. He had actually gone to a boxing match. He had seen Mike Tyson compete, and he was inspired by this to use Mike Tyson's likeness in the game. And so uh, they had famously, though um, not necessarily. On the record, they had famously struck up a three-year contract for the very steep price of $50,000 to use his likeness <laughs> in uh, these games. And so uh, Mike Tyson's likeness was actually added to Mike Tyson's punch-out, but they're sort of interesting story to how his likeness ended up being removed. So I guess in order to talk about that, it's kind of important to talk about Mike Tyson just a little yeah. bit. Do you think he spent that 50000 wisely? Because just reading about Mike Tyson's life, I feel like probably not so much. So Mike Tyson, I mean, I could you could probably do a... I mean, there's a book, uh, autobiography out of Tyson's that's like really good. That's 20 hours long, and his life is just filled with crazy stories. And I don't know a ton about them, but, um, you know... He's an interesting character. The youngest ever heavyweight champion at 20 years old. In his first 19 fights, he was undefeated all by knockout or stoppage, 12 of them in the first round. So he was just knocking people out in the first round. It was kind of a sports phenomenon. He was really the most popular, charismatic boxer, I guess, since since Ali uh, because of just his bruising style. He was knocking people out. I think the record was like three or four seconds. Uh, he just literally walked up to the guy, punched him once, and won a fight. That doesn't really happen. 
Uh, and first, he was a speedrunner. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, first heavyweight to hold the WBA, WBC, and IBF titles at the same time, and uh, that earned him the nickname Baddest Man on the Planet uh, until things went downhill. Uh, he lost the title in, uh, to Buster Douglas in 1990s, famous sports upset. If you're a sports fan, it's the considered one of the biggest sports upsets in history. Only one casino posted odds that would allow you to bet on it, and it was 42 to 1 that um, – that Buster Douglas would win that game. So somebody made some money off of that. 92, he went to prison for three years, and he has this whole comeback career fighting Hollyfield and getting face tattoos, biting ears, saying he's going to eat people's children, uh, going bankrupt even though he had made $300 million in his career, and then being on the hangover and revitalizing his image as... Someone who was in the hangover with a tiger. That story really takes a twist yeah. towards the end. It's just a lot of things happen there. But ultimately, like, Tyson was just a, a bruiser. He was, he was uh, one of the first heavyweights to just be, like, knocking people out this quickly. He was all um, power. People were scared of him. And he fought with fear. He grew up in really bad uh, childhood, really poor life. And he had this high voice and lisp that he was picked on. And so he basically fought his way through his life up till it was actually his job. And so he went into the ring with that same fear that he felt like he was going to basically be killed and or be kill or be killed. And he was just, he was vicious. He was crazy. Um, but ultimately like his lack of boxing skills, I think caught up with him and he didn't quite, wasn't quite up to snuff and he wasn't very focused on boxing because a lot of other things were going on like face. He, he also lost his mentor though. Something that was very uh, yeah. important to him in his life. And that's when things really started to go downhill for him so yeah i joke but he's a very very amazing story i definitely recommend like looking into his life and seems to have revitalized it fairly positively which is good but uh just a fascinating sports figure for sure and uh it's kind of came his career came at the exact right time for nintendo to hop on this license and and get him on there and i think that was a big reason why this game sold so well as people um were like you get to fight against tyson i don't know like other other sports games it's like john elway's quarterback it's like well you're not like fighting against john elway like there's nothing interesting <laughs> yeah. about John Elway's name being on I don't it. Know, sometimes you want to take a swing at Bo yeah. Jackson and check sure. the Super Bowl. Sure, <laughs> but there's something about like, oh, I get to fight Tyson at the end. Like he's the final boss that I think got people into this game. So, yeah. So I mean, with he was already a relatively contentious figure, and and at the beginning when Minoru Awakawa tried to have his likeness put in the game, it was kind of a risky play because he hadn't won the championship at the time. Mm-hmm. He had a, a stellar record, but he had not won the championship. So it was kind of banking on his uh, up-and-coming success. And so after he had lost the championship in 1990, they weren't really heavily incentivized to renew that license. Mm-hmm. And so that's the reason why all of the carts that were made after 1990 had Mike Tyson removed from the game, uh, half for uh, Nintendo's own image in half because why bother paying more money to someone who's not the champion anymore? And so later cartridges uh, replaced Mike Tyson with Mr. Dream. So the title of the game changes to Punch Out featuring Mr. Dream. And uh, it's it's basically just a color palette switch, right? I mean, there's no significant graphical change. Yeah, they just switched out Mike Tyson for Vanilla Ice. Yeah, that's basically (laughs) it. And And what's interesting is that, I mean, I think the original... Mike Tyson's Punch-Out sold over 3 million copies, but the Punch-Out only sold, what was it, a quarter million yeah, copies? And, I mean, that's clearly also because it came out several years after. But, um, yeah, if you're collecting, you can actually get the one that 
has so many less copies for like 10 bucks. Everybody still wants the Tyson one even today. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's definitely more iconic. And so, uh, you know, we usually talk about ports and sequels of this, uh, of these games. We probably won't go into super punch out aside from at a high level. Um, but I do want to mention that if you go ahead and pick up a port of this game to any of the later virtual consoles, it's going to be the Mr. Dream version for the Correct. exact same licensing reasons. So, so we're not, we're not talking power punch two. No, we're not going to talk Power Punch 2. Featuring Mark episode. Tyler. Yeah, that, that needs to be its own episode, not 100%. Mike, Tyson. <laughs> Mike Tyler, he was a good boxer. So uh, the lore for this game, it, it directly from the, the manual, lore. directly from the manual, it says, it all began one day when Little Mac and Doc Lewis met by chance. Doc became Mac's trainer, as you do. Just like wandering oh. the streets, and they just, yeah. hey, you want to teach me how to box? Okay. Teaching him everything there is to know about boxing. Teaching him... Everything. All the things. All the things. Makes sense. Doc and Mac's story continues over a seemingly endless path until one day a champion is born. Oh, which so is they're probably, eternal. Yeah, this <laughs> the tale is old as time. So uh, the, the story behind this game, as if a story is uh, super necessary, uh, Mac fights in the WVBA, which is the World Video Boxing Association, against a variety of other fighters. And there's actually really interesting backstories behind a lot of the uh, characters that show up in this game. So they all have their own unique backstories, especially ones that were translated over from other games. Just as a spoiler, the WVBA, not actually a real boxing association. There is no World Video Boxing Association. I looked it up. Oh. I googled it. Yeah. Okay. I, I was called con- ESPN and I said, "Is this real?" And they said, "How'd you get this number?" <laughs> so uh, all the boxers do have like really unique personalities, and they also have dialogue like in between matches, which is fun. And the further in the fight you get, you get to see you know new dialogue you might not see if you're you know good at the game. Like probably a lot of people haven't seen Glass Joe's third round dialogue. I would think, but Glass Joe lost ninety nine times and once in a freak accident, which I find that very interesting. I don't think many boxes accidental win. Okay, but that's still a freak accident. It is. Which doesn't, most people don't win boxing matches by freak accident. But against thought, Nick Bruiser, who's the final boss of Super Nintendo's Super Punch Out. Yeah. So the one win he has is against the boss of Super Punch Out. Which is kind of an interesting thought if you think about the parallels with uh, Mike Tyson's life, where, you know, he had won so many in a row, and then his one freak accidental loss was against some no, no name guy. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the circle of life. It's a beautiful story. It's the way it happens. And if you don't believe it, play Super Punch Out, go to Nick Bruiser, look at the scores afterwards, you'll see. Last Joe's on there. Really? That's, That's funny. Yeah. Also, Soda Popinski, my favorite character, famously had his name changed from Vodka Drunkinski from, uh, for the, from the Super Punch-Out arcade game uh, due to, I guess, they find that insensitive. Yeah, there's, there are some... Uh, it's not kid-friendly, all right? Can, there are some racial insensitivities throughout the Punch-Out series. There are. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, you, can, you can find a lot of things to be unhappy about with some of the characters historically. You know, the arcade game has an Italian named Pizza Pasta. Uh, it's true. Yeah, there's Great Tiger. It's a great name, though. Yeah. I like pizza, I like pasta. I don't see what's offensive. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they definitely characterize... I mean, there's definitely characters that they use race to, to create a character, and then there's others that are just... The, there's using racism to create the character. And so, like, you know, there's some characters, like, I think Piston Honda's fairly, fairly uh, malign, et cetera. But, you know, Soda Popinski, definitely the weirdest one. Weird, weirdest name. Uh, makes no sense, obviously, but um, they had to remove he, the vodka. It's because he was drinking from the bottle. Yeah. But it's also really bad to drink soda before a boxing match. So. That's true. 
probably could have had a better career. He could have had a better career. Um, they, they didn't change his uh, in-between rounds text, though, so a lot of it still refers to alcohol. And, you know, <laughs> so kids are kind of like, wait, what? Why is he he's going to drive all over me? I don't get it. Um, <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, there's a lot more of this in the Super Nintendo game, so it's kind of a little bit outside the scope to talk about here, aside from famously uh, Soda Popinski, but um, it's kind of interesting to talk about, you know, this is a game that... Uh, would not be made in the same way these days. A lot of the characters, when you look at, for instance, Punch-Out for the Wii in 2009, a lot of that feels extremely toned down. Some of the characters still reappear, but it feels like they were willing to walk it back just a little bit. So. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Also, Mario is the ref, which happens in some sports games. That's true. A couple of them, so that's good Very to see Mario Very fortunate Nintendo let Nintendo do that. Yeah, but. this is a Mario game for sure. Well, it was actually it was done without permission. Yeah, and I remember then, it was yeah. it, uh, like they had pitched a, an idea for the game and they had put Mario in there and then they were like, okay. They just kind of said, okay, yeah. Because yeah. they didn't like use the proper art and stuff. Mario looks a little different than a lot of his appearances. So there was some controversy around that, but they let it they let it slide. Yeah, I've heard stories about that. Uh, for instance, with uh, Smash Brothers, Super Smash Brothers 64, when Hal had come up with the idea, they had not previously gotten permission to use Nintendo's characters, and they went and pitched the game to Nintendo, and they were like, okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, huge gamble to walk into yeah. uh, to Shigeru Miyamoto's office and say, uh, we have Mario beating up Yoshi. How do you feel about that? <laughs> and he's like, I've been doing that for years. Yeah. <laughs> So moving on to just kind of talk about some of the gameplay uh, about this, I want to kind of put it over to Sinister, who is obviously somebody who's played this game quite a bit. Do you want to kind of explain just the rhythm-based com- combat that happens in this game? Like, it's fairly unique when it yeah, comes to sports games. Yeah, it, it, it seems to be an incredibly simple game. You can punch and you can dodge. That's, those are your options, right? There's, there's not a whole lot of going on, but there's, there's a lot of nuance to it. And the rhythm that you speak about is actually kind of turned against you at some points. Uh, where boxers will actually, you know, their their move timer is varied so that you think that they're going to punch at a certain time just because that's happened, but then it's like, nope, and then you get punched. So it was a good job by the programmers to kind of turn, like, like let you learn that and then turn it against you as well. Absolutely. So obviously the goal of each match is to either get three knockdowns in one period, that's a TKO, or a 10-second knockdown um, where they do not get up after 10 seconds. If not, a decision is made at the end of three rounds. Uh, some of the bosses, if you might not be aware, you cannot beat by decision. Uh, five of them actually, Piston Honda 1, King Hippo, Bald Bull, Mr. Sandman, and Super Macho Man. So if you go the full distance with them, you'll just lose every time. Um, and so each boxer has a variety of standard attacks and special, usually one special attack that that will knock you down in one hit no matter what your health and life is like. Uh, there's also a hearts and stars system that definitely factors in heavily to the combat. Do you want to explain kind of how that works? Right. The hearts are essentially your stamina. and it, it doesn't really seem like they put a whole lot of thought into these heart numbers. Like like Great Tiger, you start with 77 hearts. I have no idea. Like How do you get that number? Uh, and so to Popinski, you only start with eight. Um, so it, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Uh, but, but those you know, are numbers. Get, those are numbers yeah. uh, uh, that job. exist. They meet all the minimum qualifications yeah. to be in the game. So essentially, if you're, you know, if you're getting blocked too much, you, you'll lose a heart every time you get blocked, or if you get punched, you're going to lose some hearts, etc. So you'll, you'll uh, get fatigued, and then little Mac has to kind of dodge until he recovers, and then you can start punching and fighting again. Uh, the stars obviously deal a lot more damage than the normal punches, and those are generally obtained by doing some type of counter punch or punching your opponent at a time where you're not typically supposed to be punching them. 
Okay. Yeah, absolutely. The game rewards you for being able to sneak in those punches uh, during difficult combos or difficult moves or uh, just slight periods of time of like a, a vulnerability for the enemy. Um, I think one of the best things about this game, and we were discussing this the other day, is just how this game really teaches you the mechanics of the game um, by presenting you the, the fighter order that it is. Like the level design, if you were, um, really mm-hmm. does teach you the game properly and make you learn all of the different things you're going to need to eventually be able to beat the difficult fights like Mr. Sam. Man and so what are some examples of that? Like Glass Joe. So yeah, yeah. You start out. You start out with Glass Joe. Well, he does block, but his his guard is is very mild compared to some boxers. So you can always punch him three times before he's going to block you. If like if you punch him in the face three times, the fourth time he'll finally put his gloves up. Uh, he's also very slow when he throws a punch. So that kind of teaches you to dodge because you have so much time to read and recognize. Like even if you've never played the game before, you kind of see him winding up. Uh, so that, you know, it teaches you, so it teaches you the two most basic mechanics. And then as the game progresses, you learn more mechanics as the, the you know, the boxers are going to block more, or they may require you like King Hippo. You have to counter punch him. The only way to beat King Hippo is you have to, when he's getting ready to punch, you have to punch him first, which is another valuable mechanic to learn or bald bull. You have to counter the bull charge, things like that. It does seem like the choice to only allow certain bosses or fighters to be beaten by decision, uh, it seems like they're sort of trying to stop you until you understand that mechanic. Like King Hippo not laying you by by decision. That's correct. Is sort of insisting, I mean, sure, maybe you can scum out 3,000 points in order to win by decision against another fighter, but King Hippo really wants you to right, have you figured can't. it out. You can't, yeah. So that's, and that's how you win by decision is it's based on the point total that you get. And so for some of the boxers, they, they just set, there is a point total. But it's like nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety, uh, which obviously you cannot achieve. This uh, seems high unless you well unless you task the game. So there are, there are actually there's a video out there. It's pretty funny if you want to check it out. Uh, that shows what it looks like if you beat uh, Mr. Sandman or King Hippo by decision. It's pretty hilarious. Oh wow, that would yep. take quite a lot of work. Yeah. Um, what are some other examples of just the way it kind of teaches you uh, the gameplay throughout? Like, what are some of the other fights that might? I think, well, like I said, uh, you know, Bald Bull, Bald Bull 2 also, Bald Bull 2, you have to defeat him with, uh, with a star punch. You can't knock him down otherwise. Oh, yeah, so that's absolutely. kind of teaching you like, hey, you know, you get these stars, you really should kind of use them to, to finish the, the knockdown with. Um, some of them are more just based on like a change in the fighter. So like uh, Soto Popinski, for instance, is extremely fast compared to the previous boxer. So he kind of teaches you to, to uh, react more, more rapidly which you'll need in some of the later fights. So that's a little more nuanced, but it's stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something I always really enjoyed about the game because you feel like you're getting better as you progress through it. And I think that kind of reward system for your time definitely makes you keep wanting to play. Uh, we looked up, trying to figure out kind of what's the average play time for beating this game. It's really hard to judge because so many people have so much knowledge of the game that when they submit to like how quick to beat, they say three, four hours. But uh, the times that we found, I think from people to doing it completely blind, probably like eight to 10 hours of gameplay to be able to go from never playing punch out to beating it. Would you say that's probably if you can actually beat Mike Tyson, there are a lot of people yeah. that still come up to me to this day and they're like, I was never able to beat Tyson. And that's not something to be ashamed of. Like it's an extremely, extremely hard fight. And if you're trying to do it nowadays on an emulator with input lag or something like that, it's going to be sure. even harder. <laughs> I mean, you but, do it with a blindfold on, though, so it can't be that hard, right? Well, I suppose. Yeah. But, uh, but for people beating it, yeah, I would say that's, that's probably accurate because you're going to have to go, you know, there's a rematch system, but sometimes you'll get pushed back 
And yeah. with you know, when it comes to Mike Tyson, if you lose to Mike Tyson, there there is no rematch. Yeah, so, so the, you're gonna you, have to go back and fight Super Macho Man again just to progress to Tyson. You basically go through the minor, major, and world circuits, and then you fight the dream match. Basically, is what it's called, and that gives you the v, WVBA championship. And so, if you lose in a certain circuit, it will send you back several fighters. I believe you can only die or lose three times. And then you retire. You That's it. Retire. Yeah, yeah. Three losses and you retire. And depending on who you lose to, if you, if you lose to somebody the first time, you may only you may get to rematch them. But if you lose to them twice, you'll get sent back. Uh, or if you lose to say Super Macho Man, for instance, I believe you have to go back to Don Flamenco two. But retirement's way safer than boxing, right? So that's like... Uh, you would think so, but yeah. I mean, Glass like, Joe isn't retired, and he just keeps on trucking. That's getting, like the long-term you know, play, I feel like. Yeah. I don't know. So this is sort of an interesting game reception-wise, because um, if you look at reviews of this game, uh, there's a very clear distinction between reviews that were written when this game came out and reviews that were written uh, you know, na- uh, now. And the reviews that are written now... You can't find someone who's not going to give this game a 10 out of 10. Yeah. It's just you can't find someone who's not willing to say 10 out of 10. But at the time this came out, there were actually quite a few magazines who were publishing articles about gaming. You know, this game got like a 70, 80. Not a dis- uh, disrespectful score, but um, it was not the 10 out of 10 that a lot of Yeah, I'd say most were 80 to 85 out of 100, most of the ones yeah. I found on there, which is still really good review obviously but i think now it's gained a lot of popularity and a lot of i wouldn't say nostalgia just maybe appreciation for some things that maybe people didn't weren't used to for this new game new i game think that's a big part then. of it i think a lot of it has to do with um at the time people were sort of expecting a certain thing out of uh sports games and you know it's kind of like there, there's historically been a lot of more arcadey style sports games games like you know nfl blitz came out it's certainly not the much more nintendo refined. world cup all the kunio kun games right yeah. so uh i think at the time people didn't really know what to expect but i think looking back on it people do have a lot of appreciation as we mentioned before you know the the tyson game sold three million copies versus the mr dream game selling a quarter of a million so and I think that's a part of it too. I mean, I think it kind of kind of almost builds to the mystique that they did get rid of Tyson, and a lot of people don't even know why. A lot of people think that it was because of his legal troubles, but uh, like you mentioned earlier, it was really it's because he lost the title. So they were like, "Well, he's he's not the champ." So. Yeah, <laughs> I think a big thing that made this game really popular at the time as well was just like the the uh, like the legend of beating Tyson. Like people like when you go to school, they were like like if you told somebody that you would beat Tyson, it would be like a big deal. Like people would be like, how do you beat Tyson? How do you more more no, realistic? People just wouldn't like, believe you to their face. Yeah, They'd be like you're lying. Be like, how do you beat Sandman or how do you beat Soda Popinski right, or something? But it right, was right, one of those right. games where it was like kind of a badge of honor that if you could beat the one. you know something. I just can't get past Glass Joe. <laughs> you're like I can't do it. <laughs> I can't figure this out. I'm a pacifist though. It might be getting in the way. Yeah. Not throwing any punches. You're sure that if you don't just wait long enough, he just falls over? Yeah, absolutely. Kind of a natural time to transition into our normal just like review discussion of of what we think about the game and so uh we normally just kind of try and riff about some of the different you know favorites and least favorites but uh this one i think the clear question is who's your favorite boxer in the game i would say super macho man okay. uh, there's just from a speed run perspective and probably from a casual perspective as well because he's really challenging when you start out casually uh he's got a lot of variation in his move set 
Um, he's fast, you know, and it's, you feel, you feel very gratified when you do finally beat him and you get to go to fight Tyson, um, in a speed run, you can really put a beating on him. I mean, there's just so many different tactics that you can use. Um, but it's also challenging too. It's like, it's still hard to pull off the right strategies against him, uh, to get a very fast fight. Absolutely. What about you, bud? Favorite boxer? Oh, that's tough. Well, Glassjaw's the only one I can beat, okay. so I feel inclined to say that one. It makes you feel real good, too, right? It does. Yeah. It's really strong. See, like, I want to talk about some of the ones that, because most of my experience with Mike Tyson's Punch-Out is watching it, so there's a lot that are really exciting when you're watching, especially the ones that are big gatekeepers. You know, we'll talk a little bit about fights that are heavily RNG, and so they tend to be big gatekeepers for the run, so they're exciting to watch, but I think that's exactly the reason why they should be least favorite boxer, not favorite boxer. You know, like, I'm thinking about, like, King Hippo and... I, I really would love to see that run. Hopefully, it, it goes smoothly, and then. But that's a good reason to hate that boxer. Yeah, so. I feel you. I like Soda Popinski. He's always been my dude since since I was a kid. I don't know. It's just he's huge. He's like blue for some reason, which I don't. Maybe too much soda. And he just like he's drinking the soda. He's funny. I don't know. And he was always really. He was the first. Uh, he was the first boxer that was really difficult that I had to put the time in to finally beat. So like that was the first big sense of accomplishment. Like I know Bald Bull was always really tough with his his charge attack, um, and I figured out the timing of that as a kid. But Soda Popinski felt like a real accomplishment. Like it feels like that's when the game really starts stepping up its speed, as you said, yes. and reaction time. And so getting to the point where I could beat him, big fan, big fan of Soda Popinski. Good friend of mine. You like him? Yeah, good guy. So, so who's least fair? I feel like I feel like uh, King Hippo ends up being like my favorite and least favorite, but for opposite reasons. Okay. But what's your least favorite boxer? Uh, the the Tiger guy, Great Tiger, is that yeah. him? Yeah, he's tough. He gets he's, his special's really annoying. Also, Mr. Sandman, I always struggled with. Like that's a good fight, but like that one always was like a fifty fifty coin flip whether or not I'd win. So um, those two are like really hard. I, I've always felt like their specials were just a little bit cheap. Um, and so they would throw me off my game. So I'd probably say them. What about you? King Hippo. King. I mean, he's the obvious choice. He's a big uh, RNG gatekeeper in speed runs. And once you know his, his, his trick, it's the, the fight's kind of boring anyway. So even, even from a yep. casual standpoint, it's just kind of like, all right, well, let me just get through this boring fight. Yeah, that's fair. It is a really boring casual fight because yeah. it's a one mechanic thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Once you know it, you know it. What do you think about this game makes it kind of a special special retro sports game that kind of has lasted the test of time? Like it's still like it's up there with the Tecmo Super Bowls of the world that it's like even though this sports game came out 30 years ago, it's still beloved. What do you think makes it that way? Well, Mike Tyson, for one, uh, he has stayed in the in the public spotlight one way or another, for, for, for better or for worse. Huh? He's in the zeitgeist, if you will. He he absolutely is. But I, I think it's just not only him, but also the rest of the characters, because there are so many characters in the game, and it's just there's something special and unique about each of them. And the, the game's just it's kind of goofy, it's funny, uh, but it's also still like challenging and very very well made. So you can always you can always go back and enjoy this game. Absolutely. The the game has a lot of personality and the animations, which we haven't pointed out yet, are a big part of that, like making the characters, I mm-hmm. guess. Like every every character has different facial expressions when you punch them in the stomach versus the face versus when you knock them down. And it just like 
the whole game kind of has life to it. And as you said, it's also very challenging. Like there's a lot of people who, um, you know, hit a wall in this game and, and remember it as kids and have come back since then saying, I want to beat Tyson. Like this is the one thing I couldn't do as a kid. I couldn't beat Tyson. Um, so I think the game just has so much personality throughout all its characters. I, I think the Tyson factor is also, of course, huge. Um, I don't think it would have been as popular with Mr. Dream, but, um, you know, looking back, um, I think the, I got to like a lot of the characters as a kid that are just obviously made up and I think made up, made up. <laughs> Pretty sure. Okay. So I think, I think it has a lot to do with that arcade style. There are games that don't take themselves too seriously. Any game yeah. that's willing to be uh, sort of more abstract, either stylistically or thematically, tend to stand the test of time. I think it's one of the reasons why when you look at a game like you know, Twilight Princess, it may not end up aging as well as a game like Wind Waker, a game that sort of pulled back and abstracted in certain ways. Yeah. And so it remains in many ways ageless. Um, this game is one of those that you know didn't try to be too serious about its topic. It was having fun with it, and so you know you don't end up like looking at these you know caricatures of humans and saying, "Well, that just didn't age properly." It, it stays cartoony. It stays fun, just like it was when the game originally released. So, absolutely, I agree. And um, I think I think there's a couple other sports games like that: uh, Tecmo Super Bowl, um, some of the Kunio Kun games, Nintendo World Cup, Blades of Steel. Some of these ones that Super Dodgeball. Yeah, I don't know of a better. <laughs> dodgeball game yeah some of those games the games that didn't take themselves too seriously definitely tend to have a little bit more fun gameplay especially because the simulation aspects of games from 1987 don't seem to have held up this uh, test of time so um just to wrap up our review section though um where would you say most people's progress is normally snagged in a casual playthrough of punch out uh, if they've never seen the game before, it might be at King Hippo. Mm-hmm. Uh, that definitely, like, when, you know, way back in the day, I think that's a lot of people got stumped on that one because they were so used to the dodging and punching, dodging and punching rhythm, like you said. Um, beyond that, I'd probably say Bald Bull would be the next one. Yeah. A lot of people don't really think about countering the bull charge. They get really intimidated by that move, and they're just like, oh, i got to dodge. Like, he's going to get me. Yeah. Um, so that probably those. It's two. a giant bald man running at you. Yeah. What would you do? It's terrifying. Wow. Where were you? Where were you? So I think that kind of wraps up our casual discussion. I think uh, we would all recommend this game strongly if you've never played it, for sure. I think most people have. Um, but it's definitely worth going back and beating Tyson just to be able to say you did it. I feel like that's like a, I don't know, a, a Nintendo badge that you're supposed to, like, for the Nintendo Boy Scouts of America, you can get your, your I feel like I this Tyson game, badge. I feel like this game aged well in, in respect to the fact that I do think it's worth going back and playing. And I think a big part of that is a lot of people... Like you said, it's sort of a Nintendo badge, but a lot of people look at games that are really hard from the past and say, oh, well, you know, if you can actually accomplish this, then you're an accomplished gamer. But this game is not Nintendo hard in the way that other games are Nintendo no. hard. This game doesn't, you know, sort of wall you off, eat a bunch of lives, force you to play the whole game again. It's not cheap. This game tries to teach you, and you will learn if you put the time in and you really make the effort. And so I think that the accomplishment that comes from actually completing this, even in 2019, is from knowing that you can sit down with a game that is attempting to teach you something and actually learn from it. So I think it's worth playing for that reason, if if only for that reason. Absolutely. But some of you out there have beat Tyson. You said, you know what? I want to beat the game faster. I care how That's fast what you said. I beat Tyson. Yeah, I said I'm going to get the world record. And you, and you got that 50-minute time and you checked the leaderboards. Yep, and then I didn't do it anymore. The 
categories for this game. The main category is single segment. Uh, the world record is by uh, Summoning Salt with a 1510. Zallard 1 has a 1534. And MPAP and Ouija Wii both have a uh, 1542. Um, another world circuit, which I guess is like a new game pl- like. Uh, another Second world quest? circuit is actually you. Can, it, there's a code that you can put in, and you'll start the game fighting King Hippo, uh, and you fight all the characters after King Hippo and later, but without the refight aspect. So you're not like some in the normal game. You have to fight Piston Honda twice. You have to fight Don Flamenco twice. You have to fight Bald Bull twice. So it just kind of omits some of that. But with so that it's a one, shorter, if you lose once, you're done. If you right? lose once, you're done. Yeah, it's just it's kind of a it's a meme category. A sure. Bit. So single segment. Uh, just before we jump to the next category, how is single segment timed actually? So single segment is actually timed using the game time, and the reason for that is because in any given fight, when you knock a boxer down, they could get up on a two count. They could get up on an eight count. So there's like a huge variance in terms of you know what kind of time you would get if you were using real time, just based on when boxers decide to get up. That's pretty arbitrary. You don't want your run to be like 30 seconds slower just because a boxer kept deciding to get up on eight, right? Um, so we use the game timer, which, you know, that is the blue screen that after you beat a, a fighter will show up and it will show you what is your in-game time. So you just add, add all those up. That's your time. Wow, that's really cool. It really removes a lot of that RNG factor and frustration, yeah. and bring, brings that's it down. That's by contrast to the to the other category uh, that's on the leaderboard, which is the RTA leaderboard. Yep. There is RTA, yeah. People still do it, and there's actually different strategies for for RTA versus uh, game time. So, are there As ways to mitigate that issue with fighters getting up on eight, or is no. that just luck of the draw? No, it's really what you want. Like an, an instance of this would be so normally, you know, uh, Piston Honda two. Uh, you'd want to beat him in like about 45 to 50 seconds. But uh, that would require knocking him down three times. So you'd rather just wait until one minute and just knock him down once because he won't get back up. So you save a lot of time doing it that way. So even though your, your game time is slower, you're gaining a ton in real time. Oh, that's really interesting. So a, a pretty significant difference in routing how you're going to go about each fight. Just a couple. I mean, it's really him and Mr. Sandman are okay. the two. But okay, there's a few others. So RTA times a bit longer, obviously. Something salt with an 1837, Ouija Wee with a 1845, and then Dave P 4948 with an 1853. And then you also have blindfolded RTA, which I believe involves being blindfolded. Is that correct? I have been told that. Okay. Yes. And uh, MPAP has the world record with 2027, and then our dude Sinister One with a 2138. Boom. I'm still on a leaderboard I knew somewhere in this come game. Up at some point. I knew it would come up at some point. <laughs> um, so those are kind of the big categories, but single segment is the one that has the most work put into it, would you say? Or? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, no question about it. And that's sort of the historical category as well. I mean, that's the way the game has always been represented in a sense, right? It has. Because well, it sort of represents the way... Well, initially it was really played just in the individual fight format. People right. would just go for the best time they could get in an individual fight until eventually somebody's like, well, let me see what's the fastest I can play through the entire game. Okay. Um, so this game, as we mentioned before, has a number of notable GDQ appearances. So just uh, recapping that really quickly, we have the classic Games Done Quick run, the original one with Andrew G. He allotted himself like 30 minutes and mm-hmm. said, I'm just going to play. Um, then there was a 2011 run uh, with Sinister 1. 2012 through 2014 were all blindfolded with Sinister. Uh, 2015 was normal again with Sinister. 2016 was a blindfolded race between Sinister and Zallard. Um, there was the Harvey Relief Done Quick run, which was uh, Summoning Salt. That was an online marathon. GDQX was Zallard. And I guess you can also include this game in the uh, joint one, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Punch-Out and Super Punch-Out, which was at... That was the last AGDQ. Last, last AGDQ? 
or SGDQ. I'm pretty sure. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I misremember. I can't remember offhand. But it's had a number of Games Done Quicks, uh, uh, Games Done Quick appearances, and I think that's one of the main reasons why we wanted to do a panel uh, for this one is because I feel like you know there's a big tie together between uh, Punch Out and GDQ. So absolutely, it's always been a big draw, especially the blindfolded exhibition. I think that's a a huge thing for you know. Somebody who pulls on, uh, puts on Games Done Quick, never seen a speed run before, and they get to see someone can beat Tyson, which, again, like we said, many people have not been able to ever beat Tyson, no matter how much time they put in. And then to be able to do it blindfolded blows people's mind. And I know that's gotten a lot of people into the community and, and into the event, so uh, that's really awesome. Um, do you want to talk a bit about the history of this run, like how it came to be? Because you've been, I mean, you're only in like your early 20s, so you might, you know, but you've heard of how this right, whole thing right, happened right, exactly. in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, how much time do we have? This, this is a long story. Um, I'll try to I'll try to keep it somewhat brief. But uh, this this game has actually been speedrun for a very long time uh, before even there was a speedrunning community, if you will. And the reason for that is because it's one of the few games that has an in-game timer. So you know people have the natural tendency of wanting to compete, even if it's just with their buddies or whatever. So there was a website. It was called Red Tom's uh, Punch Out website. And people would kind of, you know, talk about their times there and post different times. And there was no, this was before YouTube. This is like back in the late 90s or 2000s. Yeah, so there was no like real videos or anything. So they, so in order to like talk about a run, a run that you did or a time that you, you got, a picture of it, you you just wrote out what you did. You literally just typed like the story of, and then I dodged, and then I counterpunched, <laughs> and then I did this, and then that, oh, and wow. then he was knocked down at 27 seconds. Um, and there was actually an early emulator, I believe it was called Nesticle, mm-hmm. which you could record uh, videos on. So they would share some of those Nesticle files, which are pretty hilarious to watch. It's not real great emulation. Um, but, but it was accurate, apparently. So uh, sometimes they, were, they would have those. And that kind of migrated over to Game FAQs, and the community kind of thrived there, and you know, there was a lot more competition. And eventually it kind of died down by probably about, like I don't know, maybe 2003 or four. Um, so again, still before YouTube. So there was really no record, broad record that people could just see if somebody wanted to see this, uh, once the days of YouTube came around, you know, it just didn't exist. Um, was the focus so, was primarily Tyson or was, was there a lot was of attention? Every to individual fight, every individual fight was important. People competed on every single individual fight. They tried to optimize them. They shared strategies, so uh, more just individual like, level community like an IO absolutely yeah. absolutely there was only one guy there's a guy named matt turk who is an absolute legend in mike tyson's punch out he by the time it was all over said and done he had every single record he had every individual record and he had he had done a, the first ever single segment run wow. uh back in like 2004 i think um and his time was 1659 Oh, wow. Which is still I mean, really good. Up like, yeah, now. people I mean, people are not just going to come out and beat a sixteen fifty nine very quickly. That's actually really hard to do. Wow, that's really impressive. That's incredible. And so, what so, developed it from that point to when SDA? So then, so then, yeah, it kind of died for a long time, and there was nothing happening. And uh, then Andrew G, of course, as you mentioned, he played the game in classic games done quick. And uh, I was there. I got the bright idea that you know, hey, I, sh- I want to speed run this game. Um, so then I got into it and I was kind of really just by myself. I was just speed running the game and nobody else was playing, but people were enjoying the progress. You know, they'd be like, oh, that's cool. Oh, you got this fighter. You got that, whatever. Cause I was able to post videos. So people were finally able to see it. And I still, I'll never forget at AGDQ 2011. Um, it was really the first time that people were seeing like a legitimate full speed run. Cause Andrew G, 
Um, you know, he did more of just kind of like the dodge and punch. He did the, he did the casual strats. Um, but this was like the first time that everybody's just getting beaten round one. People are just getting knocked out really quickly. And the crowd was like, they're, they're pretty hype about it. That's awesome. That's a pretty big blow up. Did, um, so you said Andrew G was mostly using, uh, more casual strats, but was he, uh, was he taking some of the things at least that were published from like, uh, Matt Turk and the rest of the. A little bit, a little bit. You, you got to keep in mind, guys, just to give you some perspective. Back in the days of classic games done quick, Andrew G probably had over 10 speed runs that he did in that marathon, okay? Right. So he could only devote so much time to Mike sure. Tyson's punch out. It was probably pretty Plus low on his... Half of them while juggling at the same time. Exactly, right? yeah. I, th- I think he focused a little more on the Mario games, a little, a little less on the punch like, out. Um, so yeah, he, he just kind of did what he could and it was more of just a, Hey, this is a cool game. Let's get it in. Sure. Absolutely. Um, so let's get into some of the, like the notable tech unless is that kind of the end of the story? You know, you, you there's a lot more to the history of it, but I mean, maybe we'll kind of bring it back through as sure. we talk uh, like, about like the with different. the strats developing, I guess, like you have kind of two big notable points of tech. Uh, do you want to talk about the gutter punch? Sure, yeah. So that was one of the first things that they found way back in the day was that, you know, you can manipulate the guard of the enemy. So the guard only has a couple positions, you know, they can block their, their gut or they can block their face. And, you know, what, what people realized is that the computer is going to block the face if you're just pressing up. You don't have to be pressing B or A. So you don't, you don't actually have to throw the punch, but the computer will anticipate you throwing the punch so it'll guard face. And then as soon as it's guarding the face, then you can go ahead and hit at the gut because it's unguarded. Uh, and in a lot of situations, this would yield a star. So it was an easy, fast way to get punches in and to get stars and to just get really, really fast knockouts. And it's a total staple now. Absolutely. And then you also have a lot of buffer strats that are especially useful in the blindfolded run, right? Okay, so the buffer strats came about because of Zallard 1. Uh, I challenged him because it used to be back in the day, there's, there's a frame-perfect punch that you have to do on, in the fourth fight, Don Flamenco. Uh, if you don't get this frame perfect punch, it's basically a reset. So really not fun. Seeing that he's the guy right before King Hippo that causes even more resets, um, that was not a fun tandem to play. And I kind of challenged Zaller to, I was like, yeah, well, when you figure out a way to beat Don Flamenco one every time, and then he literally found it. So he found out that, you know, if you buffered uh, a left dodge and then a fast left dodge into a punch, that it was the exact number of frames to hit that perfect frame. And then from there, it was kind of like the light bulb went off and he just started finding all these buffer strats and then other people would find them. And just to explain really quickly what a buffer strat is, it just means that you're buffering whatever the next movement is going to be. So like, say I've thrown a face punch at at my enemy, Um, I can already start pressing and holding B and the next punch will come out on the first frame available. Or if you're doing a dodge, same thing. Um, So it just allows you to do movements at the exact you know, first frame available. And this is obviously a big part of the blindfolded run. Aside from just being able to respond to sounds, this also allows you to, like, space things out the right yes. amount. Yes, yes. That, that was developed by a guy named Jack Wedge, who was actually from that old punch-out community, that core group in the beginning. Uh, once he kind of saw the blindfolded thing happening, he was like, oh, I bet you could do some good blindfolded uh, buffer strats. And he just kind of, like, redid the entire run by himself just finding buffer strat after buffer strat to get you know to get through the game blindfolded and he he's really the one that figured out how to be tyson blindfolded what percentage would you say of the blindfolded run is responding to audio cues versus just buffering out the entire um i mean there's always going to be audio cues sure for sure but it, it used to be so initially when i started doing the blindfolded runs i never practiced i never prepared or anything like that um it was just kind of a goofy thing to do and it was fun 
Um, but then, you know, so then it was all based on audio cues at that point. But then eventually, like by the time we got to 2016, that's when the buffers start to take over. Sure. So it's, it kind of took a long time because I never really looked into it. So, I mean, this game is a, a collection of its fights. So breaking it down by fight is really the only uh, reasonable way to do it. So maybe now is a good time to start talking about uh, some of the big RNG aspects in this run. So what, uh, what are some of the fights that are heavily impacted by RNG and how does that RNG actually manifest itself? Almost every fight. It's a, this is one of the most RNG-heavy games out there. Uh, thankfully, a lot of it can be mitigated to some degree, but ultimately uh, King Hippo is the first one. As I mentioned before, you, you can't punch him unless you're countering one of his punches where he opens his mouth, and he's going to decide when he wants to do that. You have no say in this matter. So if he just decides not to open his mouth, then you're going to be hitting reset. Um, the same thing with Soto Popinski because there's kind of a glitch on him that allows you to get a very fast knockdown, but it requires him to throw an uppercut uh, in a situation where he can throw a hook or he can throw an uppercut. So if he just decides to throw a bunch of hooks, then you're also you're pressing reset, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's unfortunate. Um, so maybe let's just break down some of the more critical fights as well, especially ones that uh, focus a little more on technique versus just trying to mitigate RNG as much as possible. So it seems like the obvious one to talk about for Mike Tyson's punch-out is the Tyson fight. It so. is. Oh, you fight Tyson in this game? Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> oh, wow. If you ever make it past That's the last the dream. Gosh, That's the dream. That's the dream. So yeah, Tyson, the thing with Tyson is it's almost like playing a completely different game, uh, especially when you're, when you're speed running, because he's got just... So much that he's throwing at you that, you know, first of all, he's got his normal punches are knocking you down. So it's not like like previous in the game, all those boxers had special moves that would knock you down in one punch. But he's just like, this is my normal punch and I knock you down immediately. Um, So there's that aspect of it. They were also really clever with how they set up the RNG for Tyson. So he can delay. There's like four variable delays he can do between each punch. So that's why you'll see people, even to this day, you'll see like Summoning Salt or myself or Zallard or any of us getting actually knocked down by Tyson, which that's something you think, oh, well, that should never happen, right? These guys have played the game a thousand times. But like because of those variable delays, every now and then you're just going to miss it. Um, so that's going to happen. Is and- there a window in which if you do hit dodge on the proper frame, it'll dodge all four no. varieties of or no. you have to just do no you you have to react okay you have to react so it's constantly testing your reaction yeah. uh time for the first 90 seconds of the fight uh and then he also has a long delay that he can do it's an extended delay that we call it the eight second delay um that's also going to ruin your speed run as well Why is it called the eight second delay good question okay uh, it's because he actually delays for eight seconds oh. i know that 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 one you you wouldn't expect but yes um <laughs> do you know what the gap is between when you see him i guess he flashes correct when he's going to do his uppercuts or there's some he sort does of cool yeah yeah he what does. is the amount of time you have to react properly that you have to do every time i don't know the exact amount of frames but it's it's pretty tight it's pretty tight and and what happens what most people get hung up on is that they psych themselves out yeah and that's how they program tyson and that's the the brilliancy of it is that they knew that people would just kind of get into this rhythm of thinking like okay i'm dodging at the right time dodging, right. and then they would just he would do a different delay and then boom you're on the canvas so yeah they um, did i mean that was a really cool mechanic too just to kind of try and emulate tyson was a boxer that would knock people out in one punch and people were terrified of him so right. they translated that into the video game form and said like you have to do everything perfectly or if you get hit once you're gonna get knocked down and you're that, done. that pressure makes you kind yeah, of it puts you tense. on edge yeah. it puts you on edge um but Absolutely. for the speed run purposes you also have to do frame perfect punches so the in, in a lot of the fights what you can do is you can do a delayed punch a delayed counter punch and it'll deal more damage than a normal punch will so on tyson um you're gonna punch him once 
And then you have to do a delayed punch, which is frame perfect. That's one sixtieth of a second since the game runs at 60 frames per second. And that will deal additional damage. That's the only way that you can beat him in the first round. You got to hit probably at least 13 of those if you get fast patterns from him. If you, if you don't, then you're probably going to have to hit between like maybe 15 to 17. So wow. it's kind of a big ask, and it's an intimidating thing if for anybody who wants to speed run the game to kind of think like, wow, I have to do you know, 13 frame perfect actions at the very end of my run. Yikes. Um, but thankfully you can get, you can get the hang of it, uh, because it is, there is some rhythm to it in a way. Yeah. But that's incredibly technical for, I mean, what, what looks already fairly intimidating. Then you hear it and you say, you know, 13 frame perfect, but it's not that bad. Well, thankfully for me, when I started speed running the game, I didn't know it was frame perfect. So ignorance is bliss. I used to think there was like a four frame window that I could do these delayed punches. So I was just like, oh, this is, this is no problem. You know, I got this. And then eventually the guy that did the uh, tool assisted speed run told me like, hey, th- yeah, how are you doing with those frame per- perfect punches? And I'm like, what are you talking about frame perfect? <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, and then for like a week, I couldn't beat him in round one. It was just totally in my head. That's amazing. We all just discovered that Sinister's brain runs at 240 frames per second. Yeah, absolutely. That's how the math works. No, actually, strangely enough, when you fight Tyson enough, the game will literally slow down for you. Yeah. Like, you will see it a little. You, it, it will appear as almost as if there's two frames on which you could hit him. That's it's bizarre. Yeah. But it, it really speaks to a lot of how you sort of internalize all of these things, mm-hmm. especially for a game that's so rhythm-based. I, I feel like that's the case for a lot of rhythm-based games, is once you really start to internalize it and start to feel it, it really does feel like it slows down and you can think through it a lot better. Right. So moving on from Tyson, um, which is obviously the most notable fight, what are some of the other more critical fights that are execution-heavy, like the Honda 2? Honda 2 is incredibly execution-heavy. Uh, you have to use kind of all your techniques, and there's some very small frame windows in which you can do the you can do these. They're called max damage uppercuts. So like not all uppercuts are created equal. Uh, some of the star punches will deal more damage based on certain variables, and one of those variables is where your opponent's guard actually is um and there's there's kind of like some in-between spaces of the guards even though i said at the beginning there's only up and down um in the in-between spaces sometimes it'll just randomly it'll deal more damage like i can't explain it um but you know that's how that's how the game is programmed so you've got to do that and you've got to just be very precise you can essentially knock him out before he even ever throws a punch which is one of the most gratifying things in any of the fight because it's basically like him and glass joe <laughs> are, the, are the two y'all are bullies Black Joe's a fighter. He's out there a hundred times trying to make, make money for his kids. That's true. Try, so try and try and try again. Yeah. Besides that, I'd say Sandman. Sandman's real yeah. tough. Uh, he's, he's fast, and he hits really hard. And he also he's, he's kind of like Tyson in some ways where he can kind of fake you out because he also has those variable delays. Yeah. Um, so when he's going to do his triple uppercut, like you don't really know when it's coming. Um, so he'll catch a lot of people with that. Absolutely. Sandman is definitely a f- tough fight. What about uh, Super Macho Man? Super Macho Man, again, he, he's extremely RNG heavy in terms of what his pattern is, and you have to really understand. There's, there's, there's probably like five different ways that the first phase of the fight can go. Um, there's probably more than that, really, but there's like five kind of typical ways that it can maybe go. Um, and then after that, it gets a little smaller. There's maybe like two or three ways in the next couple. But um, 
you got to be really on point with that, and the timing is difficult, and you got to use all everything at your disposal. So you've got to quickly react to whichever scenario you're getting presented. And yeah, say, okay, I'm getting this of the five yeah, options, yeah, yeah. and now I need to do this. Yeah, the that's game tough. the game really has a lot of variables. People think, oh, once you know the patterns, then that's it. That's all you need to know. But there's a lot of different patterns. Uh, the the programmers really did a good job with making sure people can just like memorize things. You know, you can only memorize so much, and then you get to the point where it's like, okay, well, I have to be able to deal with these three different situations in this moment which is interesting because a randomizer has been made for this game right that's does true that, does that utilize the different <laughs> you did a thing in it yeah i mean right? it was it was mostly the work of uh jeff xvx yeah. who is a really uh pretty talented rom hacker and uh he was really wanting to document the rom a lot of uh a lot of games out there retro games have been well documented some haven't and he was frustrated that he had discovered one that he thought would be better documented and it wasn't so the randomizer was really his passion project to have an excuse to document the rom what i mean by document the rom if you're not familiar is you know really looking into the code figuring out how it works what what are the data values what do they all represent how does the game actually execute um, and so he had done a pretty thorough documentation in order to create this randomizer. So now um, there's a lot of functionality for it, you know, changing the patterns up, changing how long the delays are, uh, you know, what you have to do in order to earn hearts and stars, how many you start with. Things that are relatively subtle changes that um, take a lot of balancing to keep the game playable. So. In case it wasn't random enough already for you. Yeah, I think that's that's what makes it incredibly hard to balance. Yeah. Because uh, he's been trying, and it's just it's, it's either like too hard or too easy. It's very hard to find that sweet spot. Absolutely. Yeah, it's very easy to make very subtle changes to patterns, and suddenly you end up with a glass Joe that just won't die. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's not a joke. We literally yeah. had versions of the randomizer where Glass Joe could not be defeated. He yep. was a French juggernaut. <laughs> um. <laughs> That's my head cannon for a Mike Tyson's punch out. So, um, if somebody were to watch, uh, want to get into speedrunning Mike Tyson's punch out, like, are there resources, tutorials out there that people can access? Is there a good, like, central depository for all that? Absolutely. Uh, I have several tutorials on YouTube. I believe Weejui has a really good tutorial as well that's probably a little more up to date. Uh, but mine covers all the fundamentals. Like, if you're just starting out, it would be a really good starting point and um the community's grown to the point where there's people streaming it now so obviously you can go in and their streams and watch and ask questions and anytime you know how it is in in our community anytime somebody's playing a game they're excited to share that with other people so if you go in and show interest they're going to be like oh yeah yeah do this or try this you actually said most of the people on the leaderboard are relatively active yeah yeah you'll still see i'm i actually just came back to the game recently summoning salt is in and out he'll play it zallard will you know he'll play sometimes mpap is definitely still active, um, and there's a lot of people that are kind of like up and coming uh, that have been really improving their times lately, so yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so you can go to speedrun.com slash MTPO, and you can find that leaderboard, and as we said, a lot of those people are active. You can also follow our dude Sinister One who does that and many other games, um, and yeah, I think we need more runners out there of this game. I want to watch... Watch some of you all out there. Absolutely. It's a lot easier than it used to be to get into the game. Uh, There's just a lot of things that have have been made easier with the buffer strats and uh, just more knowledge that, you know, it's it's not nearly as as intimidating as it used to be. So we want to move to Q&A?
<laughs> um, so, you know, as I was looking this up and, you know, pursuing my, my Glass Joe Tide World record, uh, I saw, you know, a lot of information out there. Um, and it seems like for this game in particular, there's a really close relationship between the TAS community for this game and, and the RTA community. Um, I heard McHazard name mentioned a lot. Like, can you talk a little bit about that relationship between like how the task people find stuff and then how like it puts back into a run and like how those things are sort of discovered and, and how you guys work together on that stuff? I'd love to. Uh, actually, the first, uh, well, sorry, the first people that tasked this game were Phil and Janisto, and they inspired a Delicat who actually runs taskvideos.org to do the kind of a newer iteration of the task where he found a lot of stuff. And he was also somebody that used to play the game back in those old game FAQ days. So he was on there. He was competing. He actually beat Matt Turk for the Piston Honda 1 record at one point, which nobody had been able to claim to beat Matt Turk. On top of that, he also he said he used to do uh, blindfolded runs as well. Um, I believe he said he got to Macho, if I'm not, wow. if I'm not mistaken. So he was, he was very, very much into the game. So he put, he put a lot into it. And then uh, it was many years before McHazard came around. Um, I worked a lot closely with Adelicott, and we kind of, you know, we would bounce stuff off and figure stuff out. So he helped me uh, with a lot of the real-time stuff because, again, like I said, that previous community, they were so focused on individual levels that there were really, those strats were just too impossible to do in single segment because they'd be like, oh, well, this is a, you know, one in a hundred thing. Um, and it's like, well, you can't do a one in a hundred thing in single segment. That doesn't work. Um, so I would work with a Delicat, like especially on Super Macho Man. Uh, he really helped me get like an un- a sub one minute time in real time. Um, McHazard came along. He is an absolute genius. He completely destroyed the the task uh, in ways that. I, so let me tell a story. So he sent me a PM, uh, and it had a file that was like you know. So this is an actual file for for a task. So for those who don't know how a task works, you you have to play the file back in an emulator. Okay, um, so you just have this file. You put it, you know, turn on the emulator, and it plays back. And it's just inputs. That's all that's in the file. Okay, so there's no way to cheat. All right, but when I saw this, my brain was telling me like, he's cheating somehow. This isn't this isn't possible. Like this this can't be real. But then the other part of my brain is like, no, it has to be real because this is being played back in an emulator. Like it was. That's how blown my mind was when I saw like his first. Uh, it was Piston Honda 2. He saved like 15 seconds over the previous task or something ridiculous wow. like that. Oh, um, awesome. So yeah, he's discovered a lot of stuff um, and he's worked closely with you know myself, Zallard, MPAP, um, Summoning Salt, those guys, and just kind of really pushed the, the strategies further. And he also returned just recently. So stay on the lookout. There's going to be a new Mike Tyson's Punch-Out task coming Ooh. out uh, pretty soon. That's going to be exciting. Very nice. That's awesome. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, they said that for my height. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I really consider the Punch Out franchise something that I'm, and uh, something that I really kind of confused why it hasn't been bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, it has probably what I think the most underrated music in all of Nintendo history. It has some really colorful characters. It as you guys were talking about, it sold really well on the NES, and yet we only got the one game, the two games on NES. We got Super Punch-Out, and we got the Punch-Out for Wii. Why do you guys think uh, Punch-Out didn't factor in more throughout Nintendo's history, considering it was so... It was one of their arcade titles, and it was such a successful and sort of iconic NES game. 
I have to say, we didn't point out the cutscenes, which is like the best part of the game, where you're like running in front of the Statue of Liberty. That pumped up music. Yeah. I always love that. Mm-hmm. That was good. Yeah, it seems like the Punch Out community probably has a lot to complain about with the Metroid community as well. So, yeah, I, I mean, we were talking about how it's kind of strange that like, as a big Game Boy fan that like they never ported this game to some sort of Game Boy version, and that they never made anything after you know Super Punch Out. They didn't have a 64 edition. They didn't have something for the GameCube. Um, what, what do you think that I is? I mean, Punch-Out! Wii, Punch Wii is so out of place. It's just like, okay, we remembered Punch-Out! For, for 20 ten minutes. years ago, yeah. It's like, yeah. We remembered it long enough to make a game do and then forgot it. you think losing the Tyson tie maybe just kind of... I mean, maybe they were a little bit maybe they were a little bit gun-shy after, you know, it didn't sell well after converting from Tyson to Mr. Dream. I think maybe that's a good point. But at the same time, maybe they just didn't know where else to take it. They had made two successful arcade games. They had made two successful retro console games. They made yeah. the Wii game, which I don't know how that sold, but it, I don't imagine it sold on the scale of yeah. Punch-Out. And at that point, 2009, you make Punch-Out for the Wii, you invest all those resources into it, and it probably did not sell 3 million copies. And they said, I guess everyone hates Punch-Out now. Yeah, I would say it probably has to do with the bottom line at the end of the day. That And they, they probably don't want to burn things out because it's like there's only so much you can do with Punch-Out. It's hard to innovate. It's hard to kind of make things new. I mean, all they could really do at this point is something that would probably take away a lot of the nostalgia, but they could make the game actually like 3D, like really, really 3D, which, you know, then it's like, is it still Punch-Out? Does it still feel the same? So... I will say as a diehard Mike Tyson's Punch-Out fan as a kid, I when I rented Super Punch-Out, I wasn't a fan. I didn't really like it. I don't know if it was too much of the same or if it was too different. I don't remember. But I just remember not wanting to buy it, never going out to get it. So I would have to see the sales numbers for the Super Punch-Out to see, like, I feel like probably that did not sell well. Sure. And they just thought, okay, this was a one-hit wonder. It is what it is. And now they're trying to get money from nostalgia, obviously. But um, you And know. I think even with, with Super Punch-Out, it's amazing because, you know, I, I obviously like Mike Tyson's Punch-Out better, but they fixed two of, like, the, the some of the issues from uh, Mike mm-hmm. Tyson's Punch-Out. Um, they made it so you could do the individual fights, which is absolutely great. I mean, even just on a casual level, being able to go and, like, practice a fight and absolutely. get a lower time. Uh, and they fixed the timer as well. The timer used to be that super janky, like, it only ends in point zero zero point two five point six one. Like, you know, now it actually, like, it's sure. a more of a real, realistic timer. Nice. Well, thank you for the question. Absolutely. Uh, this is more for Sinister, but I guess the rest of you could answer. Um has Mike Tyson's punch out ever led to you actually trying boxing? Uh, no. You think he's you think he's going to ruin that moneymaker? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that face is too pretty. I, mean, I, I I would consider. I would I would certainly consider it, but it's not it's not something I've I've pursued. I'm taking odds. I boxed I boxed uh, all my dorm a couple times. Did not do well. I'm not very good. You're supposed to block the punches, so. <laughs> well, you blocked all of them with your face. Yeah, I did. Uh, <laughs> I did. I don't go, I, I mean, I absorbed them very well, very well, so. So I remember reading, uh, might have been a couple of years ago now, that there were some telegraphs for attacks that were kind of just recently discovered, mm-hmm. like uh, Mike Tyson, that. like one of the faces in the audience, like cues one of Mike oh, Tyson's yeah. attacks. Takes the camera. Yes. So I wasn't sure if there was, you know, maybe more of those lurking, like maybe there's still some secrets out there in the Remember game. when we were going to put that in the notes? I do remember <laughs> when we mentioned putting that in the notes. That Yeah, that that's a great story because like so many people just were baffled 
world when they found out that, you know, Bald Bull won, there's actually somebody holding a camera in the crowd, and there's like this little tiny flash that goes off when you're supposed to punch him when he does the bull charge. Uh, and then that, that's also the case in Bull 2. There's a, there's a guy that has a beard, uh, and he kind of does this little head bob thing. Um, I absolutely think there could be more of those, and it's just, you know, the, the people that play the game are never going to find it because they're too busy trying not to get punched in the face. You can't be like, oh, let me look in the audience and see what's going on because then you're going to be on the canvas. But um, Do you think that makes Little I, Mac a cheater? <laughs> That's hard to say. I mean, I, I, I think he's, he's got help from the audience. Yeah, he's, like he's a he's in dirty the, boxer. Look, he's a kid, all right? He's 17 years old, and he's fighting grown men that are twice his also size. An Give issue. him a break. Also an issue we have not confronted yet in this podcast. We're just going to move past. Very confusing. The 80s were a different time. You could be 17 and just fight grown men for sport, right? I suppose so. Yeah. Thank you. Great shirt. Great T-shirt. Big fan. So, uh... You mentioned Super Punch-Out uh, during the panel, but uh, like someone else alluded to with an earlier question, there's also uh, a Wii version of the game, and uh, I thought that they did a really fantastic job with that version in, in mm-hmm. sort of recapturing the feel of the NES game. Um, I was just curious, have uh, any of you played that version, and how do you think it compares? I've, I've never played it. I've seen a lot of it, though. I, I have played, played the Wii version. It's, it's great. Uh, they did an amazing job with it, and, you know, yeah, and it kind of speaks to the earlier question of, like, well, why didn't they make more of these? Because um, you know that one was a really good. They did a really good job. Do you feel like the motion controls uh, were faithful to the real? Pre- I mean, it's I didn't use the play. motion control. I used the, the. Okay, so it regular. lets you play with the controller. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if you can do. I, I assume you can do the motion controls, but. Yeah. Uh, you, yeah, you can, but I don't know that anyone seriously used them. I think you, you can. Play, hey, that uh, could be a GDQ incentive. We're, we're getting ideas is, here now. The thing yeah. is that Nintendo, <laughs> for a period of time, were very particular, like, no, motion controls. Yeah, but we'd like to be able to hit up no motion controls. Yeah. <laughs> I just find it odd everyone's asking about Punch-Out Wii and not Power Punch 2, but... Yeah, there's probably a reason yeah. for that. Well, um... <laughs> <laughs> I was, okay, perfect. Stole some of my question. I was going to ask about all the Punch-Out series and what you felt like if you run them and why you would rather run this over them. And also that I swear there's one with it in space that I didn't dream up in a fever dream. Yes, that that's is true. that, right? It's power that is power. Two. That is okay. power punch two. Originally, it was supposed to be Mike Tyson was going to go and fight aliens in outer space yeah, because they- because aliens were really the only thing that were strong enough to fight Mike Tyson. But they got the license uh, for Mike Tyler instead, right? Mark Tyler. Mark Tyler. Mark, Mark Tyler. Took well, they already over had the, yeah, they, they already had the initials embroidered. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that was uh, that. That's the one that you were thinking of. But that's not the same gameplay style, right? What is that? No, it's a little weird. It's not it's, a platformer, <laughs> though, is it? Uh, no, it is still a boxing game. Okay. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that's uh, uh, you probably could skip that one. And you won't run it. <laughs> I, just, I will not run it. Uh, Super Punch Out. I did do some individual level runs at one point. I actually had a tied world record for Heike Kagero. Uh, it was one frame from the task, and I just couldn't get that last frame. But eventually, uh, somebody did get the last frame. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, so I just wanted to know um, if there was any history on the decision to use the in-game timer versus just an RTA time, and what went into that decision to have made that call uh, for the timing of the MTPO run? So from my perspective, I would say that that was just what was done by the original Punch-Out crowd, uh, and I can't speak to why they would have done that, although my assumption would be because... They were doing the individual fights, so of course you're going to go based on the time. You know, once you finally beat somebody, you get to see that blue screen and you get to see your time, and you're like, "That's it." 
Um, and nobody was really speed running back then anyway. There was no concept of, oh, let me go get a W split or live split and time this out. You know, there, that, so that wasn't even really a thing. So I think using the in-game timer just kind of was grandfathered in. Uh, but there has been some, not much, but there's been some mild debate about, you know, should it be real time? Should it be mm-hmm. game time? And um, I think most people agree that the, the game time makes the most sense. It's probably a lot easier to also, you know, before you're doing videos and post videos, at least have a screenshot or a picture of like, hey, true. here's my time and I beat Bald Bull. Versus, That's true. You know, That's true. All right, so um, Punch-Out has uh, been around the NES, you know, as you mentioned, since uh, since 87. So we've had a lot of time to, uh, as, as, you know, the years go by, just kind of refine uh, the gameplay, you know, um, like non-task gameplay effectively. Um, despite that, uh, if you were to pick like a, a particular moment between then and now um, that has been like kind of like a, like a mind-blowing, um, you know, kind of thing that, that like mind-blowing development uh, in, in uh, like real gameplay um, that's kind of like flipped uh, the kind of the game upside down for most people. So you're talking about in general gaming? Yeah, I'm talking like, you know, like non-tasks, like, oh, dang, like you found something that's just like totally going to blow away all these other runs, you know, like no matter how like recent. Like for Mike Tyson's Punch-Out? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would go with what I said earlier, the Piston Honda 2. So, so when McHazard first debuted that, um, you know, we were immediately like, well, how do we do this in real time? And he was able to explain it. So it then just became, you know, okay, well, now we have to practice this and get it, you know, get it down. And he had a very thorough explanation of how it was done. But that was huge because it used to be the times you would get on uh, Piston Honda 2 would be like between 55 and 59 range. And then that went down to like 45 to 49, which is 10 seconds is a huge chunk uh, in the game. It does seem like it's a, a non-negligible uh, improvement. Also, the discovery of these buffer strats you're talking Absolutely. about, That's requiring well. that frame That's, perfect. That one, yeah, that was a that was a huge one because that actually allowed more people to play the game. Like most people are not going to play a game where four fights deep, you have to do a frame perfect thing, and if you don't get it, you reset, and if you do get it, you fight King Hippo. That's yeah. that's not the kind of game you want to <laughs> play. If you do, damned if you don't. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. So uh, I just wanted to know, back in 2015-16, uh, whenever Summoning Salt was starting to uh, make the first uh, World Record Progression video, did the Mike Tyson's Punch-Out! community know he was going to be doing that? And what was the kind of the reaction for whenever it came out? Um, well, I think, I think it might have been even a little later than that, but maybe I'm mistaken. Um, that, are you talking about the one about single segment or the one about Mike Tyson himself? Uh, Mike Tyson, the, the one that actually got finished is episode one, I guess. Well, the first one actually was, it's not up anymore. Yeah, yeah. So if you, guys, if you guys didn't see, there, he did the first one was on the single segment run, uh, but the, it was two hours long. So, <laughs> so it didn't fit into his normal format, so I believe he's taken that one down. Um, I think he may have talked to some of us about just like research stuff in doing it, uh, and I know that it was slightly inspired by, I had actually done something like that for just one fight. It was for Piston Honda 2 uh, back at, but that was a long time ago. That was like probably 2014 or something like that. Um, but that was kind of, he was kind of like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that and make it an actual good format because mine was just garbage. Um, so now he did it and made it really, really good. Thank you for the question. 
This is more of a general question. Uh, say, uh, Sinister especially, but all three of you, you've been speedrunning for a long time. Uh, lots of various games. Uh, so what's your main motivation for speedrunning, and has that changed over the years as you've been a runner? Yes. <laughs> Mine's to get rich and That's, get women, so <laughs> it hasn't worked out very well. Okay. Thank so you for your honesty. change to video game, just like wanting to play video games. No, I mean, I guess for me, I would say, you know, I got into speedrunning just because I, I love retro games. I thought it was interesting um, to go back and explore these games from my childhood. I had been away from gaming for like almost a whole decade, just didn't play games at all, was focused on music. And then, you know, diving into them, um, it was fun to join the community and all. I think my perspective has changed now in that I realize I won't be in probably speedrunning forever. Who knows? And I'm, I'm probably more focused on trying to put together some times I'm more proud of as opposed to enjoying like just learning more and more runs. Um, but the motivation is always to be part of the community and, and collaborate with people, enjoy, enjoy the, the whole process, I guess. I think a lot of people get started with speedwriting for the purpose of diving deeper into games that you already love. And mm-hmm. I, I think that is a huge entry point for a, a vast majority of speedrunners. Um, though I would say that I think my motivations have changed considerably. I mean, I started speedwriting with Super Mario World because I watched... I watched the Glimmick summer of 2013, 12-hour-a-day grind of Super Mario 64, and I said, well, if, if he can do it, I bet I can do that with Super Mario World. I, I love Super Mario World, and I'm willing to invest some time into it. And so I, I dove deep, and I, I really tried to put a lot of effort into it. And um, while I never really achieved the success that Siglimic ultimately did with being able to claim the world record in Super Mario World. That was my motivation for starting. But it was once I got into speedrunning and realized, wow, you can just pretty much do this with anything, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. I realized it was a really great way, actually, for me to discover games I had never played before. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm well-known for having speedrun a lot of games, and I would say probably a good 75% of them I had never even heard of before I speedran them. Mm -hmm. Um, And that became a huge motivator for me was it was an opportunity for me to find out about games that I completely missed out from my childhood either because I couldn't buy every single cartridge that came out when I was you know eight years old on a five dollar a week allowance yeah. or because I just didn't own those consoles or I wasn't born before 1987 or any of those things right that one's on you yeah that was my fault <laughs> yeah I would I would say also just adding a lot of replayability to games I love um, for for some of my runs I think like you I'd like to pick up new runs just to play around with new games and also to route stuff and provide something for the community if a game's never been routed or played but also a game like say link to the past I could play it once a year maybe casually and kind of enjoy it until I'm kind of kind of too good to enjoy it or you could speed run it and have all this replayability where you're constantly engaging with the game engaging with the content learning how the mechanics of the game work at a much deeper level um so i like that as well what about you sinister sure so my motivation actually was because i was got into speed running so long ago uh you know i just was kind of going through the list as you discover it and you're like oh i want to see the speed run of this game and uh well there was no speed run of mike tyson's punch out mm-hmm. to watch uh, and also another game I really like, Double Dragon 2 The Revenge, there was no speedrun of that. So my motivation was like, look, I just saw all these awesome speedruns, and it was such a great experience for me personally. Like, I want other people to have that experience too. So that's what motivated me to run Double Dragon 2 The Revenge and Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. So then there would be actual speedruns that people could go and watch. Um, and then, of course, my motivation has shifted quite a bit over the years because I've been speedrunning since 2009, so like 10, 10 years 
Um, I would say now my, my motivation is more towards just community oriented things. So like coming to events is absolutely amazing. Like I love coming to events and just hanging out with everybody. Um, I love commentating. That's one great thing. Like as speed running has grown more, uh, competitive, like being able to, to commentate great races that have happened at GDQ or even like tournaments, like a tournament match recently between, uh, cool kid and prizzy and the Rockman two tournament was like that was such a great experience just amazing um so yeah it's it's really shifted over the years but ultimately i'd say it's the community community always brings you back thanks so much thank you thank you i think we've got time for these last two so i once saw a task where just using input timing uh, they made it so Super Macho Man did his like spin with his arm like 99 times in a row. What is the funniest task that you've ever seen? Because this game is ripe with them. What's the funniest thing that you've seen? Uh, I was again. It was that what I had mentioned earlier. I think it's the uh, defeating King Hippo or Mr. Sandman on decision. Because that was something that was completely yeah. unexpected. And just go watch it for yourself. It's 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 very very funny, and it's obviously tasks. Is you have to task to do that. Out after this. So if you've only experienced like watching the speed run of Mike Tyson's punch out, you only really see round one in any of the fights. Mm-hmm. And one example I'm going to use is you can knock out uh, Don one in about 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if there's any crazy knockouts that you can do in round two or round three. <laughs> That is a really good question. Uh, I think there are some with, I guess, with, with Mike Tyson in round two because that's when you can finally start getting stars on him so you can do some kind of impressive stuff like a really fast round two knockout of Mike Tyson. That would be the one that would come to mind. But, uh, mo- I mean, most of the boxers do actually have different strategies in the second and third round, believe it or not. Yeah, so it's like you said, in round one, that's all you get to see, but rounds two and three are varied. Uh, if you really want to see kind of the full spectrum of everything, I would recommend watching MPAP's high score run of punch out. Because, I mean, it's, it's not that long, because obviously the round, you know, the, it's a timer in each round. Um, but you get to see the full gamut of everything that the game has to offer. That's really cool. Thank you all so much for all the great questions. Yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah, that was good. Absolutely. So just kind of as we wrap up this panel, we want to say thank you, first of all, for showing up and listening to our dumb faces. Um, We want to let you know uh, to find us at theframesavers.com if you're looking for our content. Uh, There's links to our SoundCloud, our iTunes, uh, Twitter, our Discord if you want to ask Q&A questions or just hang out. Um, We've got all all the social medias are there. Um, You see all the sweet shirts too? Yeah, I saw I saw a shirt. There was a shirt or two. Mm-hmm. You yeah. can buy them on the internet, I yeah, think. Yeah, merch.theframesavers.com. There you go. Um, and we are actually going to be starting uh, our world record review that we announced last GDQ soon. Yeah, right? we, uh, we, we're going to have a soft start before, but we ended up holding off. So we're actually starting right after we get home from GDQ. So that's going to be a live show where every other week we go through the world records from the last since the last show so uh it's a good opportunity to come and see what's happening in the world of speedrunning. you know games that you may not even know are being run are being world recorded so yep 
So if you are speedrunning stuff and you get a world record and you want it to show up on the show, go to theframesavers.com. There's a submission form there, uh, and we'll be starting that in, I guess, a, two weeks from now. Yeah, um, so look out for announcements. Also, if you look for supporting us, you can find us at patreon.com slash theframesavers. Uh, we're currently trying to push to $300 a month. That'll get us to uh, do Symphony Castlevania of Symphony of the Night, which neither, neither of us have ever played it. I'm sorry. It'll be a lot of fun. I apologize. Uh, Shout-outs to our $25 a month patrons, Tina Hacks, Mr. Pizak, Kip, Toasted Muffin Gaming, and Kevin. Kevin Hummert, some of you are here. Thank you. We appreciate you so much. Um, and yeah, also, we just want to give a shout out to the Warp World Podcast. We're part of the Warp World Podcast Network. And they've got their panel, uh, which I'm on as well. Uh, their, their panel is I going to be invited. in the crowd. I'm sorry about that. Hmm. They asked if I should invite you, and I said yeah. it's probably not worth it. That, sounds, um, that makes sense. So the crowd control panel out. is actually <laughs> Thursday at 4.15. Uh, so the same time this one started, but on Thursday instead, it's going to be really exciting. So if you, I'll be there booing. Apparently, uh, <laughs> we'll we'll ask Darkman to keep you outside yeah, the door. Makes sense. Yeah. So definitely check out their podcast. They got a nice podcast network going. They do a lot of uh, Twitch news. They do uh, gaming historians. They've got uh, some awesome podcasts. So check them out. Also, shout outs to our producer Brian Morgenthal, who may or may not be here. You can find him at Bmorgs TV on Twitter and Twitch. I know I see him. He's he's a cute guy. Um, he has helped make this podcast happen happened for three years three and a half years so uh definitely send him some love we wouldn't have been able to do it without him because we are way too lazy to edit so one more time where can they find you sinister and yeah sinister twitch.tv slash sinister one slash subscribe slash subscribe you can give him money you literally can you could yeah uh or or on twitter i'm uh at sinister one sda that stands for speed demos archive which is uh, it's an ancient language you're gonna hear about that in the next panel if you stick around for the origin story of games done quick you're gonna hear uh, all about classic games done quick and speed demos archive absolutely and i think that's it i mean any last thoughts no play punch out it's really awesome and it stood the test of time so it's worth it yeah absolutely and if you want a free sticker or a card come talk to us and thanks so much for showing up Thanks.